0: welcome to the social fishing podcast my name is reese creed i'm a passionate angler and i want to share as much as i can about the sport we all love on this podcast we speak to incredible anglers sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge all to help you reach your fishing dreams thanks for joining us today now let's begin Welcome to episode 18 of the Social Fishing Podcast guys and it's been an exciting trip so far and I can't believe we're 18 episodes in. Now in this episode it's just going to be me on my own and I'm going to tell you another story. Now I had a story uh, from earlier on in the podcast episodes. I think it was episode 5, where I told a story about a trip to Blaring Dam uh, catching a fish. Now, a lot of you quite enjoyed that story, so I want to keep those stories going, and this is the next one since then. Now, this is a story because I learned a few lessons and because a few things come out of this particular trip. Now, it was a story from a recent trip uh, to blaring dam I did chasing a Murray Cod in the dark. Now, there was nothing special about the trip. Uh, it was just a very quick afternoon session. Um, it was great because we got onto a fish. Um, the action was quite good, but there were a few things that happened during the night, and I'm like... A lot of anglers don't know this or may not know this, and I really wanted to share it. And I was thinking of writing a bit of a piece, and I thought, what could be better than doing an episode for the podcast on what I learned? So, I'm going to talk about that in this episode. But before we jump in, I just want to give you an update on what the fishing's been like and, and what's going on around in the fishing world at the minute. Now, we are you know, early to mid-November by the time you listen to this and by the time it gets up. Everything's starting to warm up, except for the cold snap we had last weekend. That slowed things down a bit. So we had quite a bit of warm weather in terms of golden perch starting to feed up in the impoundments. They were starting to feed really well. I saw some really good catches of fish. We were starting to get a couple here and there in Blaring, uh, but Windermere was still firing. I saw Colby Lesko was up at Gugong absolutely smashing the fish, and they love that. That constant warm weather is absolutely key for golden perch, as I would have touched on In a few of the episodes we've done talking about Golden Perch, that rise uh, in temperature is so, so important. We've had this cold snap, the fishing will shut down. No matter what style of fishing you're doing, weather is critical, weather is so important and basically we had a trip planned for this weekend that was just gone, we cancelled it. As soon as we saw how bad the weather was going to be, that change in barometer, that drop in temperature... It just makes fishing incredibly tough. I'm better off spending my time sitting on the computer, creating, editing, uh, doing podcasts like this for you guys to listen to rather than spend my time on the lake. And same goes for you, whatever other things you do with your time. Probably better off giving bad weather a miss. And it's not just because the bad weather is not enjoyable, it's because the fishing is really, really tough. So I try to plan my trips around the weather to get basically the best bang for your buck. I do go fishing in bad conditions as well because you need to learn. I need to test these things because sometimes you just you just can't plan and you're like, I really want to go go out and give it a crack and it helps you learn new techniques. So I don't um, I don't recommend just totally not fishing in bad weather, just mix that up a bit. So the fishing of late, um, now that that's gone, that cold snap, uh, it should start to just warm up and get warmer and warmer and warmer which is great to a point when it gets too hot but it depends on the style of fishing you do. If you're doing surface fishing in the dark in say like Lake Mawala and the Gambia Lakes or on small creeks and river systems, summer is just absolutely unbelievable. The water does get hot during the day but those fish still feed. Because the water is warm, their metabolism is really high, they digest and process their energy really quickly, their food, their energy and they need to keep feeding. They won't feed in the middle of the day when you're out there fishing for them but they have insane bite periods, short bite periods, early in the morning, late afternoon and during the dark. So fishing will start to get really good. If you're a bass angler as well, bass fishing, really, really good. It'll start to now, as it warms up, there'll be, you'll see top water action. Same goes for trout. Um, if you're a fly fisher, and I'm, I'm going to have some incredible, awesome sessions on the Tumut this summer, I really hope. We did last year and... Fly fishing, this style of fly fishing we do isn't technical, it isn't hard and it's just active. And the reason I love it is because of the sight part of it, the visual part that we can see the fish and we're casting to them. If we could visually sight cast a cod, it would be unbelievable. I would love it. But the water we have around here, we just can't do it. But fishing anyway, it's going to get really good. Whether you're targeting trout and that goes for lakes as well as streams, the lakes will probably start to slow down as it gets really warm for trout. Cod, night times, low light periods in the impoundments and then, you know, same goes for rivers and creeks. My will fish really well come opening. Um, December will be a great time to fish in most waterways and throughout the whole day until it gets too hot. Come January, it'll probably slow down a bit. But the fishing is going to be action-packed. Golden perch will still feed. Um, Lake Eildon is yet to fire. It'll start to fire as this warmer weather gets through and comes through and just warms the place right up. It got quite warm when I was down there a few weeks ago. Didn't have a whole heap of chance to fish unfortunately, but the the lake is getting nice and warm and the fishing will be action-packed. So that's a little bit of an update on the fishing before we jump into this episode. Now, I just want to give you an update on what we've been doing. We've been creating a lot of content. Now, for those of you who are keen to see the freshwater mini series and see that golden perch part of it specifically, it is coming. I do promise it is coming. Uh, There's a lot of work that goes into these videos and a lot of times needed. We're working on a few other projects at the same time but that will be out within a couple of weeks, fingers crossed. We'll make sure that we get it out for you so that you can enjoy it. Don't forget you can target golden perch throughout you know, all of summer, blaring down, you can fish for them through summer. So the techniques I show you in this part in this part, I think it's part three in the freshwater mini series targeting golden perch, you can still use them across summer. Um, I'm sorry it didn't come out earlier in spring. We did our best to get the cod and the trout one out when we did, but stick by. I will let you know when it is out. Now, before we jump in, one other thing I just want to touch on uh, is the listener questions. Now, we had one listener question come through from Alice. Now, Alice is from Camden, uh, and her favorite episodes were 16 and 18 uh, her question, she's got a couple of questions here and a few recommendations for episodes, but one was how high up in New South Wales snow mountains can you find trout? Uh, it's a really, really good question, and it's more of it's more of a question of how low do you find them, because once you get over a certain altitude, you will find them in most of those creeks and streams. Some might not have some, some may, but it's not altitude that determines where they'll be. That, that water at The highest peak is not too cold for trout, put it that way. So the trout will move up those streams. Now, I'm going to say up to that about 1,700, 1,800 meter before you hit the very top of the caps because there's not many caps that are that high um, in Australia, that they, that they don't, we don't have mountains compared to other countries, so once you get so so the Threadbow River is full of full of trout, and it's just at the base of one of the ski fields, which is at the base of the top of Kosciuszko. So the Threadbow River is full of really beautiful trout, and that's quite high alpine wise any of those small streams little little brooks little bits where water just come out of the ground and flow in between that 1700 and 1200 1100 meter mark um, height and altitude, That that's great areas. Great um, altitude to find trout and they'll be all through those areas. Just go explore the Snowy Mountains and also your higher country in Victoria are just full of great little places that you can go explore and chase trout. Uh, so hopefully that answers your question Alice. Now Alice would also like to see some episodes on Redfin so if you would love to see episodes on Redfin let me know. We did have a bit of a piece on redfin in that last episode with Rory. Um, That was really, really interesting. So, if you haven't listened to that, go check that one out. That was episode 17. And also, Alice is keen to see an episode on New South Wales bass, mainly wild river on the south coast. So, we'll take a note of that and we will hopefully bring you a wild river bass episode from the south coast, maybe come midsummer. We might do a trip down that way. And if you're keen to hear about that or anything else, please let us know through the podcast listener questions. Now, one other thing is what I love doing is creating content, sharing content with you all. Now, what I want to know what content you want us to create. So, we've created this podcast, it's been received incredibly well so I thank you so much for that but we, we've got all these different ideas for things we can create that will help you guys catch more fish but I want to know what, what exactly do you want us to build? What do you want us to create? What do you want us to write or film? So do you want more tutorial videos just to continue to go in depth with tutorial videos? Do you want different species? Do you want content on Australian bass? That's one we haven't covered yet. Do you want bait tutorials? Do you want more techniques on bait and going right back to the basics? Do you want location-based content? Do you want to know where to fish and what to catch at specific spots? Like is that the kind of content that you would like? updated reports and things like that? Do you want more action content, articles, videos or would you like to see a community for social fishing people for you guys, your f- the followers out there of social fishing? Do you want to see a community for social fishing followers? Whatever it is, let me know. Whether you want to just send me an Instagram message, Facebook message, send us an email or submit where the, listener, the podcast listener questions are, let me know what you want us to create more of. Social phishing is all about you guys catching more fish we want to help you so it'd be great to hear exactly what you would like us to create so send them through uh, i'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas so without any further ado guys let's jump into this episode and talk about this recent trip to blaring dam chasing murray cod in the dark G'day guys and welcome back to this episode. Now, as I said, I'm going to be telling you a story from a recent trip. Now, the trip was just a short trip. There was nothing, wasn't a big trip Um, and I went up with Charles Cribb. He's a local bloke, uh, lives in the local town with me in Tumut and he loves his fishing. And I go fishing with Charles quite a bit, a really good fella. And he started his fishing bait fishing. He, he, he lure fish, but bait fishing was the way he would successfully catch cod out of blaring because cracking them on lures wasn't all that easy. Now, when I first moved up this way, I fished blaring quite a lot and always had um, because I was based in Wagga previously. And when I met Charles, um, he'd never cracked a, a cod on a lure in blaring, not a good one anyway, and I remember there was a point where he purchased uh, the Murray Cod in Dam series of the Complete Guide series, and he binge watched the series, and he went up the next weekend because he was spending five days at blaring, and his goal was to get a big cod on lure. And within that five days, he managed to use the techniques from the trolling part implemented them and cracked 117-centimeter cod on the troll, first meter cod out of Blair and he was absolutely stoked and they were the techniques he learned in that series. Now, since then, um, I fished quite a bit with Charles, really good bloke and we just planned a quick trip up there, there was nothing, um, nothing set in stone for like a big night session or anything like that but the reason we wanted to do this trip is because the weather was good, uh, it was it was last week. We posted the photos from that fish just after we caught it, so it was that really warm week uh, a couple weeks ago where we had 30 mid-30s to low 30-degree days, really still all week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we went up the, I think it was the Friday night, so Thursday was nice and then the Friday night was nice as well before the change on Saturday morning where it turned, the barometer dropped. The weather changed, cloudy, windy and heaps of rain. We got quite a bit of rain, we got about 40 mils here. Now, that's why I wanted to go on the Friday. We had a change coming and the barometer was good. In saying that though, I was checking the barometer and it wasn't dropping quickly. It was dropping slowly, which wasn't great. But in terms of that heat, that warm weather, those conditions, the fish would still feed. Now, because of the fact that the barometer wasn't High. It was a thousand and fifteen, so that's it's high, but it's not great. You want it above a thousand and twenty. Now, if it was a thousand and twenty, it was up, or if there was a really quick, sharp drop coming with a storm, I'd be happy to fish the flats out in the open areas, searching for bait and finding those aggressive feeding giant cod, because that's what they do. They feed out on those flats. They do it in summer as well as as they do in winter. Now. You only fish for those fish though when all the conditions line up and you only fish in those areas when the conditions line up absolutely perfectly and you've got aggressive and hungry feeding fish. Now, because the barometer was 1,015 and it was a slow drop for about 12 to 18 hours until the next morning, it wasn't a quick drop. I checked it and I went, right, based based on that and based on the fact that there was warm weather, warm water, and it was the first really warm week. I thought the fish are going to be feeding, but I need to fish in an area where there are fish. Now, I talk about in a lot of of the content we create that I love chasing aggressive feeding hungry fish that are chasing bait. Yes, that's great if you've got the right conditions. Now, what I planned on this was to fish where fish live and hope to go past one that was feeding. So, what I did is I picked steep rocky banks. So, we fished up around the islands in Blaring Dam. Around the island, there's quite a quite some steep banks there. Now, the reason I did that is because those fish live there day in day out, and there's lots of them. The highest concentration of fish are on rocky banks. And for Blairing, for example, it's up around those islands and the damn wall. If you go to Byron Jack, um, you know you've got flat banks with timber, and then you've got steep rocky banks. You've, there are always fish sitting on those rocky banks. The thing is, though. Uh, we don't. I don't fish those rocky banks all that much because you're just going past fish that could be dormant or not feeding. And I knew that would be the case on this night, but I was sort of based on those weather elements. I thought, right, if we can at least fish for a few hours on top of fish, we might get one, two to hit uh, rather than fishing the open flats, looking for bait and not finding fish at all. I wanted to at least be on top of fish. So that was the plan. So we got out there. Oh, it was about an hour and a half before uh, last, it was before dark. Now I highly recommend if you're gonna do a night session, try and get on the water an hour two one to two hours before sunset because it helps you get your rhythm, your confidence, and your plan of attack for the night. If you get out there in the dark, it just doesn't it doesn't give you the the right role and confidence as that sun goes down. It's a hard thing to explain, but confidence is key with fish, especially freshwater fish and by fishing prior to dark it just gives you the time to get your eye in and like you need that time every time before a session it takes a little bit to get going there's not i don't there's not an angler out there who can just bang be switched straight on first cast good to go it takes time to warm up and it takes time to pick your spot get your boat in the right area get your electric moving get your not your drift but tracking along a bank properly, working along nice, get just get that rhythm and that mojo going. It does take time and I've been out there after sunset and we've just, had, we've just been all over the place on some sessions, especially because it's dark, you can't see your bank, you don't know what's going on. Pick your bank. We picked our bank and we started fishing. Now, I didn't think we would get anything before sunset but we had a good hour and a half but we just got in the spot, started working a bank. We worked all the way along the inside of one of the islands. And it came over real overcast, and it did actually feel good and thought we might get a fish, and it was absolutely glassed out. And I knew that that sun, that, that right on last light would be key. So we worked for an hour and a half. We jumped over to the other side between the wall and Log Bridge Creek on those steep banks, worked our way back, and we're working, working along. And the plan was to cast plastics, mumblers, lures straight at the bank and hop them down the rocky banks. So we're casting in, we're allowing them to fall. Giving them a couple of ones, three, four, five, six. Pause. Let them sink. Because those big fish will either hit them on the drop because they're following it, or they'll see it, or they'll feel it free falling, and they'll hit it as it's getting closer to the bottom on that drop. Drop's key. But they will also hit it on the slow roll as well. So this was our plan: was to work these banks for the night because my plan was to fish where there were fish, and hopefully we could go past one that was hungry. And with those rocky banks, there's a lot smaller fish. That's another reason why I chase the flats and where the fish are feeding on bait fish. It's because that's where your 1 meter, your 120 plus fish are. Your rocky banks have a mixture of everything. They do have big ones. They have a lot of that mid-range size. And I was happy to just go out and just find any size fish for the night because it was just a quick session. We were keen to just get something. Now, the night was glassed out. We're... And the thing to think about, which you probably already heard before, is don't both throw on the same lure. Um, each night is different. Now, key lures for blaring so you've got your surface lures if you're surface fishing, um, not a super successful technique, it's exciting but not a go to. Soft plastics, mumblers, and swim baits, and your spinner baits as well. These sort of categories, and your hard bodies if you're trolling. Our two key casting lures, for for me, is a soft plastic and a mumbler. A lot of people go straight to uh, swim baits as well as up there. But for me, a swim bait is a lot harder to work. But soft plastics and mumblers are key. So Charles went straight for a soft plastic, one of the Ignite Cod Furies. Really good lure. I would usually do the same. But Talus was up there a month prior and got three really good hits and two good fish on mumblers for the night. Now, I remember Talus saying in an episode of the podcast that He prefers to use mumblers on windy nights and plastics on calm nights. And that has quite a fair bit of credit, especially after this session. So what happened was I went with the uh, mumbler just to mix it up. Charles went with the soft plastic. Now we're just working along this bank. Now what what I want to note is it was glassed out, right? So it was absolutely silent, still as. Now when you have these conditions you need to be extremely stealthy. I cannot stress enough how important it is to be pure stealth in these conditions. When you have a bit of wind, there's a lot of noise going on, there's water slapping on the bank, you know, there's a lot of noise, so your noise sort of is deafened out by all the other noises. You still need to be quiet, but when it is glass, fish and especially cod will feel every little bump, unnatural noise that happens. So because it was glassed out, what you want to do, and I do it all the time, is I walk very softly in the boat, extremely softly. So when you go from the front deck down into the the bottom, if that's what your boat's set up like, don't just bang on down there. Just step super softly. Whenever you're moving anything around, soft is key. Now, I practice this all the time, but especially when it's glassed out. Don't let your lures hit the boat. When I'm unsnagging with my tackle back even, I just don't let it touch the boat, the chain. Do everything as quiet as possible. Now on this night, because it was glassed out, I wanted to reduce the amount that I use my electric motor like as much as I could. I just used it very minimal not to put too much noise into the water. I just wanted it to be as quiet and stealthy as possible. And An electric motor, funnily enough, will still produce a noise that is enough for a cod to go, that's not natural. They can hear it from a mile away and even though it's an electric motor. So you can imagine if you're trying to use a petrol motor, it just would never work. But what I did was I just got us in the right depth, cruised along a little bit, killed it and just let that slight drift just keep us moving just for about a minute, not even, maybe not even and then just a tiny little touch to keep me going in whatever direction I was doing and I was doing that all night, avoiding using it too much. Same with our head torches. Now, what I want to do before I touch on lights and torches, I want to talk about our game plan. Now, normally when I fish and what we were working on this bank, we were working from the very edge of the bank down into about, well, all the way down, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven meters, into about eight or nine meters, and then the lure would start to roll up. So they were the depths we wanted to work. So if I want to fish nine meters of depth, you don't hold the boat in nine meters, especially if you're casting directly at the bank. If you're casting parallel, well, then that's fine. You're in 9 meters, cast parallel, your lure will stay in 9 meters by the time it gets down. When you're casting at the bank, which is what we were doing, we were casting diagonally forward, and these, this is basically the standard casting technique. Now, we explain this technique in the Murray Cotton Dams tutorial series. If you want to see more in depth about how we exactly do this, just go check that out. But what you do is we were casting in, cast it in against the bank, and we're basically a couple of rolls let it sink, few rolls, let it sink, few more rolls because it was very steep bank. These were steep banks. If they weren't so steep, I would add a few more rolls in and we just want that lure to stay down near the bottom. But because it was glassed out, normally I would hold the boat in about 12 to 14 meters on this super steep bank and fish it down to that 9 meter mark and back out. But I just... What, what I wanted to do is by sitting in that close, we were very close to the fish and I knew we'd spook them. So, I spent the night holding the boat in that 15 to almost 18 meters of water. Now, we're on a very steep bank. It's basically a full casting distance with a swim bait rod. So, in that 12 meter mark, that steep bank really wasn't that far from us. You could just do a little underhand flick and shoot it in there and I didn't want to be that close. Now, if we were fishing those flat banks, we wouldn't be in that depth. We'd be fishing for the fish, they'd probably be sitting in that five, six, seven meter mark. So we might sit in nine meters, but because they're on more of a sloping gradient you'd be a long way from them only a couple of meters deeper if that makes sense. So all I had to do is move out probably the boat was five meters further out and we were five meters deeper. So we were instead of being in twelve meters we're in that eighteen meter mark. Seems really deep but it allowed us to give that full distance cast in against the rocky bank and we knew the the active fish would be in that two, three, four, five, six, seven as it falls down that rocky face. So sitting the boat out way further to allow us to do a full cast basically is just the whole purpose of that is to be further away from the fish, be quieter, more stealthy, and give us more opportunity of basically getting the fish to hit without spooking. People think that you know some lakes or fishing impoundments is really difficult because the fish just don't bite. And it's not that they don't bite. they're there, they bite. It's just, and, and you're using, sometimes you're using the right lures, you're doing everything right. It's just you are, just there's a few things you got to think about and being stealthy is something that a lot of anglers overlook, being loud, talking loud, banging, playing music. No wonder you haven't caught anything because those fish are very intelligent and it's all about being extremely stealthy. Now, this was a glassed out night. There was no other noise, so it was very important to be stealthy. Now, what we did is we worked along uh, the bank. So we were working back along and it was just on that bit where you almost got to go grab your head torch but you don't really want to grab it yet, right on dark, right on that transition where it is getting dark and we were working along the bank. Now, I'm working a mumbler, so casting it in, giving it a few wines, getting it shaking and then letting it fall and Charles was working his soft plastic back and on this one particular cast, he'd cast in got it close to the bank. Now, we were kind of guessing our casts. after a bit, you kind of, you you had an idea of how much effort you had to put in to get it close to the bank. Um, And we try to avoid landing it on the bank, but you need to get it close because if you're five meters off the bank, it's going to sink and you're going to miss that that good depth of like two to five meters, it's going to sink and like land in six because it's a steep bank. So you needed to get it as close as you could. We had a 20% moon, very, very little, but it's enough to make out where the bank kind of was. Now, Charles had cast in and he'd done one, two hops and I think he was three cranks in the handle and he got absolutely slammed. Now, I was down... um, Cutting my lure off and retying because I had a fray on my front of my leader. And he was caught. He called. He was on. He was like, yep, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on. And it's the best feeling for you as an angle. when you get hit and absolutely destroyed by a big cod. The feeling is incredible. But also for your mate who's fishing with you, I was just... It was like, right, I get this net out and the net was caught and I was just going mad trying to get the net out and press the button in to pull the handle out and find a head torch and get a bit of light on this fish and he just basically kept pressure. He said it pulled like a truck to start with. Now, Charles Charles hadn't caught fish a good cod casting yet so he was finally onto a cracker of a cod on the cast. Bring it up, bring it up and it surfaced and it was the fattest fish I'd ever seen. And it ended up coming in at 93 centimeters. When we put it in the net, I dead set thought it was going to go a meter, but it was was super fat. If you had seen the photo, those images don't do that fish justice. Um, A couple of those Instagram stories we posted up, they, they showed how thick the fish really was and they're just so well fed. And that means, because they're that thick, it means they're feeding quite a lot all the time and they're putting that food into their body. And we think we can we fish all this time. We struggle to just land a handful, and they obviously have a very good system of detecting what's food and what's not. They really know what food is. So if you're able to fool one, it's a really good effort. In those impoundments, those clear impoundments, eel Eildon, Byron Jack, Copton. If you can fool a big fish, you have done very well. Now Charles was absolutely wrapped The fish had inhaled the Cod Fury, it was gone down his gob and I actually think it might have been a female just because of the condition and how thick the fish was but you don't know. You can't actually tell by looking at a Murray Cod what's male, what's female. Um, yeah, it's just a guess but this this big girl, she was a cracker of fish. Now, what I want to talk about is the lure was swallowed head first and it was gone Now the reason he hooked it was it was hooked on the front swinging treble of the ignite cod fury. So what we actually do is with the cod furies we have them on the social fishing store. I've used them for many many years, really good lure. We we custom rigged them because we were struggling to hook up fish, and we had a few different designs. And we've got one that's called the reverse front hook, and it's where you it's just got two points of the front hook, and it's put in reverse. Now. It works better in a bit of area that has a bit of timber because it's able to bounce over a little bit. But If you're don't, if you not fishing on timber, if you're fishing rocky banks, this swinging front treble, it's got a corkscrew that allows it to swing. It, it's free. So when the fish sucks it in head first, this hook shoots out first, and it has just got an excellent hookup rate. It does have an excellent hookup rate on snags as well, I will tell you that. So it can get quite frustrating to use, but when we've missed fish after fish after fish because they've got such tough mouths, big tough mouths, these plastics are big, they are very hard to hook up with. Now this swinging front hook works an absolute treat. Pinned that fish in the back of the jaw, in the back of the mouth, just a great hook up rate on those hooks. So um, he landed that cracker of fish. He was absolutely stoked, and the night was made. And then the sun had only just gone down. I think it was about twenty past eight. And the plan was working. Now, we actually had a boat go past us, and there was three or two other boats up in that area that night. Now, it's a it's a popular part of the dam to fish, and it was it was uh, as an angler, I was like, right, this isn't going to help because what one of the boats was doing, and and it's they don't, probably don't know what they're doing is causing the issue, but. What I was saying to Charles is on the night there, I was like, this is why some anglers struggle to catch fish. Now, this boat come through, they were talking loud, but they had a spotlight, they had a big torch, and they were shining it around, shining up the bank, looking where they were going on the bank, left and right and left and and everywhere, everywhere, all night as they went, trolled along this bank, and then I think they turned around and started casting. Now, they were a good hundred and something meters from us when they were sort of just stopped to cast but their light was that bright when they shine it back at us it just the whole bank lit up it yeah it just so much light and what that does that spooks fish 100% you have to avoid using any lights if you can so I was saying to Charles and this is why some anglers get fish and others don't we're being extremely stealthy they don't know we're there when you got boats like that, the fish know that they're around. They know there's activity. They're not going to feed. They're not stupid. So basically, what I want to, what are the lesson I want to share with you is, avoid using lights wherever you can. I only use them for navigating, um, when I'm like traveling, navigating, going fast. But when I know I'm getting close to my area, within a couple of hundred meters of my spot, I pull up, pull up, and just go real slow with the uh, petrol motor until I'm probably hundred meters from there, maybe fifty meters. And then I pull up and use my electric motor to get into the zone and where I want to start, especially if where I want to start has potential fish-catching structure. If I'm working a long rocky bank that's got 300 meters worth, I'll probably just boat right up to it uh, because once I travel 50 meters, I won't be near it and I'm sort of just warming up as I'm casting. But if you're fishing a key point or something, don't just boat up and pull up right on top of it. You're going to spook the fish. Don't shine your lights. When I'm changing, um, I've got a, a headlamp that you can dim, so go really bright, really dim. Most of the night I have it on really dim and I only turn it on when I get down into the boat to tie a knot, check something, do whatever. I actually walk down, sit in the boat and shine it in the boat so no light can escape. Um, same with your sounder, turn it right down as low as you can. You don't want that bright light. Plus, when you got the bright light, it makes it hard to see the banks and things like that. Be very, very quiet on the boat and, and try not to use your electric motor too much. When it's windy, you have to. When it's calm, though, just use it as little as possible. Just go get a nice drift going if you can. Those small things will make a huge difference. And it made a massive difference on this night. Now, we continue to fish, same technique. Only about half an hour later, along the same bank. Bit shallower, Charlie got absolutely smashed again. Charles just got hammered by a really good fish on the fury and it just didn't stick he missed this one unfortunately um plastic come back and i think it hit it on the back of the tail so it didn't actually grab the hooks and we continue to work a bit after nine o'clock now and he got hit again three hits and charles's fishing me quite a bit we've had some good hits at blaring and they can be hard to catch on the night but on this particular night, we just had some really good action and he got another cracker of a hit. A really good fish. There were three good fish and the last one actually, the plastic come back in a ball. It was mushed up in a ball so it's grabbed it, shut its jaw, the tails come back over and covered both the hook points and just just fell straight out, had teeth marks all over it. And unfortunately, he missed those two. Luckily for him and for both of us, he nailed that cracker earlier in the night, so we weren't too worried. But the other lesson I want to basically touch on there is the fact that I was using a mumbler fishing the exact same structure. Charles was using soft plastic. He got three hits. I got none. I stuck with the mumbler until that third hit. As soon as he got that third hit, I swapped it out. And that's the thing. Some nights they'll feed on one. Some nights they'll feed on another. A month earlier, Talus had a real windy night. Mumbler's absolutely killed it. Mumbler's would probably work too. He might have just put those three casts in the right, the three right spots to get those three hits. You know, if the mumble had fallen in front of those three fish we it could have thought, well, mumbler's worked that night. But based on the evidence and what we know is the fact that those plastics were well and truly out fishing the mumble, and I think it was the subtlety was key on a very quiet night. They didn't need that loud rattling to try and find the lure between you know waves hitting the bank and things like that. But it was that silent that that paddle tail, that vibration would have carried a long way. It would have been more natural. That's why I love soft plastics. They're extremely natural. If you've never used soft plastics for big cod, give it a crack. They are so good. Always my go to, because Charles had one on, tail caught fish uh, a couple, you know, a month before on mumblers in the same area. I thought I'll give a mumbler a go, um, see if it works, and got well and truly outfished. But that was a really cool night. Um, I still congrats again to Charles's fish, it was an absolute cracker. I'm really stoked for him. We were so pumped when we landed it. You would, if you were in the area, it would have heard us cheering uh, when it finally hit the net. But it was a really good night, and, and it just goes to show that our plan that we had paid off. We fished where there were hungry fish. Even though they might not have been chewing, chewing, we still got three really good hits, which is a really good night. They they probably were on the tube because of that warm weather. And because we were fishing on top of fish, where they live, we managed to get the hits. The moon phase was nothing special, but I actually prefer a moon phase that isn't too bright. We're at like 20%. About that 40, 50, 60 would be better, probably 40, 50, because you can actually then see the bank a little bit better, but we could just make it out, so that was fine. If we had had a glassed out night with a full moon, we would have cast a really big shadow, probably would have spooked fish as well, and they would have been even spookier and harder to catch. So the conditions lined up really well, and the, the weather and the conditions are so key to lead to success but what I really wanted to touch on in this podcast was the fact that we sat out away from the bank, how important stealth is, not shining lights on the water and how important it is to just be as low key as possible and the fact that some lures will work on one night and others won't so make sure you mix it up. If you're going out with someone for the night, just pick two different lures, figure out what they're feeding on and then swap it around. I know you've probably heard that a lot before but I just wanted to... You know, explain that based on this story. Now he caught a cracker of a fish, and it was just working that rocky edge. Now they're great areas to fish because those smaller fish, and by smaller I mean those you know 60, 70, 80, 90 centimetre fish, will become active as we come out of winter through spring and summer. They will they will get more active. Whereas through winter, the ones that are active are your, your metre plus fish. And one last thing to make sure you take away from the episode is the importance of keeping your lure near the bottom, within that one to two meters of the bottom. It doesn't have to be grinding the bottom all the time, but just continue to allow it to sink back to the bottom, and then you can start to wind. Give it a few winds, you can swim through the water column, pause pauses are key even if you pause it and get it back near the bottom and then continue to wind it doesn't have to be on the bottom you don't want it on the bottom because you know a big fish is you know 40 50 centimeters deep if it's sitting on the bottom then it's going to need at least 60 centimeters of clearance to come up and hit it but make sure you're down there in that area because that's where the fish are and those pauses are critical when the lure pauses the fish thinks right this is my opportunity bang they have a crack they hit it we've caught and had hits from so many fish on the pause. so just remember that on your next session when chasing cod and there you have it guys i hope you enjoyed that episode that little story about one of my recent trips to blaring dam chasing murray cod in the dark now i can tell lots more stories and i'm going to tell lots more in the future but let me know what you're keen to hear about, what stories you're keen to hear about, what you know what fish species I know we we did that recount on our trip uh, to Lake Windermere which I know you guys absolutely love. So we can do a few more recounts on our trips and what we've learned and, and things we did during a session just like I talked about in this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed our, and coming up in future episodes, I'm going to be interviewing more great anglers. We've also got our co-hosted episodes with Talus and Chris. Now, Talis and I are going to be talking about, you know, those spring November yellow belly and hopefully with Chris, we're going to be touching on a few really cool topics and the very next one is very interesting indeed. Now, Please make sure you continue to send through your listener questions and any thoughts you have on what you would like us to talk about. And also remember what I said at the start of this episode. Let us know what you want us to create. And that's not just about creating the podcast episodes. I'm talking what kind of videos do you want us to make, articles. you know, Do you want that location-based content and reports? Do you want more action videos? What do you want? Let me know. I'd love to hear your thoughts on content that we can create for you guys so that you know you have more opportunities and more stuff to help you get out there and catch fish and i really do hope you are enjoying these podcast episodes if you are make sure you jump on apple podcasts and leave us a review rating and your comments. we just The more the better, even if you don't enjoy the podcast, just leave your honest opinions there. And last of all, if you haven't already, make sure you jump on and create a free social fishing account uh, because that gives you access to the free freshwater mini-series. So you will learn more content in the freshwater mini-series. There's plenty of great action in that, plus tips for chasing Murray cod, golden perch and trout. If you do already have access to it, As I said, the Golden Perch series will be coming soon. We will do our best to get it out for you. Now, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, guys. As always, I will be talking to you in future episodes about more fishing content. I really hope you enjoyed your time in episode 18 and this little story. If you want more stories, make sure you let me know. As always, guys, get out there and use these tips in your fishing and I will be talking to you very soon.